0: Welcome to Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby, a podcast brought to you by the Tennessee Initiative for Perinatal Quality Care. TIPQC exists to improve health outcomes for mothers and infants in Tennessee through our quality collaborative that will identify opportunities to optimize maternal and infant outcomes across our state and is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. The Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby podcast is designed for medical professionals and for patients and families across the state. We will focus on all aspects of the perinatal period with special attention to reducing our maternal mortality rate. This podcast is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance in Maternal Health.
1: Welcome to the Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee podcast brought to you by the Tennessee Initiative of Perinatal Quality Care. Today, we have a special episode as summer is approaching and the temperature is rising. We are joined again by Dr. Adele Monteblanco, who is going to provide us with updates from our previous episode, Extreme Heat, Episode 19. I encourage you to listen to that episode first and come back for more exciting information on urban heat. Hi, Dr. It's good to see you again. Why don't we just start broadly by talking about the built environment, what it is and how does it impact and shape our health?
2: Absolutely, so the built environment includes our infrastructure like residential and commercial buildings, our transportation, communications and energy systems, and a lot of other assets like our lovely parks. And I think it's easy for us to overlook how the built environment shapes our lives. It shapes how we live and we play and we learn and we work. But for families across the country and the globe, including in our own neighborhoods, and for moms in particular, the built environment shapes so much. It shapes our air quality, how far we travel to catch the bus, and how safe we feel to sit outside. And based on our upcoming summer temperatures around Tennessee and an upcoming volunteer opportunity, today I'd really like to focus our conversation on the built urban environment and particularly the urban heat island effect.
1: Okay, okay, so you got me there. I think that's an excellent synopsis of the connection between the built environment and health. But I haven't heard this term before, so can you describe a little bit further to our listeners what is the urban heat island effect?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I know they've all, most of them have experienced it. So, this effect occurs when a city experiences warmer temperatures than its nearby suburban and rural areas. So, this difference in temperature between urban and less developed areas has to do with how well surfaces in each of those environments absorb and hold in heat. I think one of the best ways to think about this is what colors you probably look to wear on a really hot day and what colors you avoid on a really hot day. So when I know the summer temperatures are really high and I'm going to be outside, I avoid wearing black and brown and gray. Instead, I want to wear white and tan and pink. And that's because on a hot day, I want my clothes to reflect instead of absorb that heat. So, our buildings and our roads and our homes, these are materials with dark colors like asphalt and steel and brick. They absorb and re emit more of the sun's heat compared to the natural landscapes like tree canopy. And so why that matters is in a dense urban environment, not only do we have these dark colored roads and roofs that absorb heat, but actually we also generate heat ourselves as humans, especially through things like air conditioning and our cars. And so all of that is coming together in an urban environment and creates this urban heat island
1: effect. Interesting. And you may have alluded to this in our prior podcast, episode 19. But can you reiterate or go into detail of why the heat that you're describing is an issue for maternal and infant health?
2: Yeah. So for anyone who is a parent, they have probably watched their infants and or their children be really uncomfortable or sluggish in the heat. Children are less able to regulate their body temperature compared with adults. And so that puts them at added risk for heat-related illnesses. Plus, as as Is perhaps easy for your listeners to understand. Infants and children have limited mobility and certainly limited control over their lives. And so, children and infants are relying on others, on adults to keep them cool and hydrated. And so, all that, the physiological components, as well as just the fact that they're little and need our help, adds to their vulnerability. And regarding pregnancy, this is a research area that continues to grow, but we have about a decade of scholarly literature that concludes that when pregnant people are exposed to high temperatures, that they are at an increased risk of a variety of adverse birth outcomes. Adverse birth outcomes that I know so many of your listeners are working actively every day to reduce and prevent. So outcomes like premature birth, low birth weight, and stillbirth. I will also say that pregnant people are more likely to experience a variety of heat-related illnesses than people who aren't pregnant, and there's even more growing evidence lately that heat exposure might be linked to other pregnancy complications like gestational diabetes. So there's still a lot for us to learn, and I am cheer on the epidemiologists and the public health scholars doing this research, but there is certainly enough data for us to take
1: precaution. Interesting. I have a couple of questions to kind of follow that up and I'm not sure if this has been flushed out in research, but is there like a threshold of urban heat that is more likely to translate to some of the maternal and infant complications that you referenced before?
2: Yeah, I I appreciate that question. And it's one I get often, everyone wants a magic number. And I wish we had it. I wish we could say, you know what, 95 degrees is the dangerous number. And as soon as the thermometer hits that, get inside. But unfortunately, we do not have a magic number. And one of the reasons why it's difficult and probably impossible to get a magic number is that our bodies acclimate to our climate. And so at least in part, and so it temperature- feels and is different for a body living in Oregon, different than Tennessee. To answer your question, there's unfortunately not a magic number that I can offer you. And then I would also acknowledge that as a city, we might look at historical records and say, oh, well, this is when it gets a little bit too hot for comfort. This is outside of our historical trends to hit whatever number it is. But then think about that there are tourists in the area or there are people who just moved into the community. So their number of what is dangerous for their body based on chronic illness, based on all kinds of different factors is going to look different. And so, like I said, I know it'd be ideal to have a number that is officially dangerous, but I really think it's just going to look different across the globe and it's going to look different across human beings. And that's why we're going to take extra precaution with pregnant people.
1: So speaking of differences based on region, can you delve more into that? What is heat mapping? Are there certain populations that are in warmer climates that tend to have worse perinatal outcomes than others? Or can you speak more heat mapping in general and regionalization of the heat effect?
2: Yeah, so we know just from walking around in our communities that some places are hotter than others, right? We can feel that as we move around the world. And so as I referenced before, urban areas are often much hotter than suburban and rural areas. One way this is really obvious is if you're driving into an urban area for work, and you're probably turning on your air conditioning even cooler as you enter the urban environment. But even within our own urban environments within a city, we can encounter really big temperature differences. And so in order to understand those patterns, those differences across a city, we gather data to create what's called heat maps. And at this point, there's many cities across the country that have surface level temperature about to understand those temperature differences across a city, but to really understand what humans encounter walking to work or gardening or waiting for the bus we need ambient heat data at the human level and so that's what our urban heat mapping campaign both in nashville and in knoxville aim to do later this summer
1: why are cities across the country heat mapping
2: because it offers so much insight. We learn about the impacts of our urban design and our green infrastructure and these important temperature differences between neighborhoods. And that data helps us understand what temperatures our community members are being exposed to in different pockets in different neighborhoods within a city. I will also say that another really important part of this project is how we're collecting the data. And that's through community science. And that means our community members are helping us collect data in a real science project. Some of your listeners might be familiar with this method and tool of community science. It helps us democratize science because it means we get to invite our community members to collect data and assess its conclusions. And so our community members in Nashville and in Knoxville get to play a part in collecting science that will shape city-level policy and planning decisions around public health and urban environments, et cetera. And so we hope they jump on board.
1: Is there a particular reason why Nashville and Knoxville were selected as the two Tennessee cities for the seat mapping project?
2: Yeah, my bias would be that we probably put in stellar applications, but there were 14 U.S. cities There were 14 cities selected across the U.S. I think Tennessee is really lucky to have to. And I think there's probably a good reason why Tennessee got to. I mean, Tennessee is going to experience hotter temperatures in the coming decades. And that is going to shape everything. It's going to shape our economy and our agriculture and our health sector, our tourism, and it's going to worsen the urban heat island effect. And so we've been talking about this urban heat island effect. I wanna acknowledge that it would happen regardless of the climate crisis, but the way the climate crisis is warming our earth, it exacerbates the urban heat island effect. And so Tennessee and much of the rest of the globe need to prepare for a hotter climate. We have these beautiful and wonderful cities here, and we want them to be safe. In Nashville in particular, we want to enjoy outdoor concerts. We want to go for a jog on the Greenway, and we want tourists to be safe on Lower Broadway. And so to do all that, we need to be prepared to support livable cities in this warming climate. And to do that, we need data.
1: And what, what- you envision the city being able to do with the data that's acquired from the heat mapping project?
2: So numerous cities have done this the last few years through funding by NOAA, and these cities in their past campaigns have used this data to develop heat action plans for their city, to add cooling stations to bus shelters. It's also an awesome opportunity to educate and inform residents and policymakers, and then. I'm I'm an academic, and so I'm really interested in the ways that it informs new research. And so with a research lens, I know I'm eager to see this data overlaid with maps like geographic features or land use patterns and even health disparities like ER asthma visits. There's going to be a lot of data to play with, and we can start looking for patterns. Absolutely. Very impactful,
1: potentially impactful.
2: I hope that that's what your listeners hear, that this is an opportunity for them to collect and contribute to a really important project in a city that they call home and help us prepare for a hotter climate in Nashville and in Knoxville.
1: Absolutely. Okay, so you know, just for our listeners, can you kind of give us an idea of who the leadership team is that's leading these efforts and how you fall within the ranks of this important project?
2: Yeah. So I can speak to the Nashville team and we represent a diverse group of leaders from numerous sectors. We are led by Nashville's chief sustainability and resilience officer. Her name is Dr. Kendra Apkowitz and she is wonderful. We also have (laughs) numerous university partners. I represent Middle Tennessee State University, for example, and I can't list every organization because there's quite a lot. So I do just want to bring attention to our amazing nonprofit partners. And that includes the Adventure Science Center, the Cumberland River Compact, and Urban Green Lab. I know some of your listeners are familiar with their reach, which with their positive reputations and the huge contributions they offer to our community.
1: I'll leave you with the last word to uh, encourage our listeners to really be a part of something that has the potential to be very impactful our community and Tennessee families. Any last words from you to potential volunteers?
2: In this short conversation, I just want to acknowledge that urban heat is really complex, and I wish I had some visual aids to offer your listeners. But one of the important takeaways about the urban heat island effect is that it looks different from city to city based on shade and the width of roads and the height of buildings. And so we really want volunteers to help us collect local data data that's important to nashville data that's important to knoxville because collecting this data means you can contribute to our understanding and the solutions to the urban heat island effect
1: well thank you so much again for taking time out to have this important conversation with me and i hope that we can work together in the future to be part of the solution to some of these climate crises that no doubt affects Tennessee
0: family. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby presented by TipQC. TipQC is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance in Maternal Health. Do you have ideas for a future guest or topic or even have a question you'd like answered on upcoming episodes? Visit www.tipqc.org and click on podcast to submit suggestions and questions to our podcast team. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast to be the first to know when new episodes are available and find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube to stay in the loop with our active projects and other relevant news relating to perinatal health in Tennessee.